Welcome to the Zeal Interestings podcast, where we discuss an interesting article or link from this week. I'm your host, Chris White. My co-host this week is Amy Dutton. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Chris. Today, we're talking about an article titled Redesigning Laravel.io on the Refactoring UI Medium blog. We'll include a link in the show notes. The article catalogs the redesign of Laravel's community forum site with each individual change explained in detail. I really like this article. As someone who sees a lot of user interfaces but doesn't necessarily understand the principles of it, it really kind of gave me a better idea of what UI designers are looking at. Uh, As a UI designer yourself, Amy, how did you react to the article? Yeah, I think the big thing that surprised me, and I guess doesn't really come as that big of a surprise, but out of the 25 or so changes that they made, there were only a few key design principles that were really implemented across the board. Yeah. Tell me more. What design principles were they focusing in on? Yeah. So I say the top two are definitely hierarchy. And so just determining what is the most important thing on the page. And you can view hierarchy as two different things, kind of like what what you think is the most important, but like really what do users want to do is the most important. Right. You're saying that the name of my brand is not necessarily the most important thing? Exactly. Make the logo bigger. <laughs> Make the logo bigger. It needs more pop. <laughs> more pop. I hate it so much. Um, yeah. So, you know, for a form, you know, what's the most important thing that you're trying to get users to do? Is it to actually read the posts? Is it to create a new thread or is it to search the existing posts? And some of that, you know, will determine on how much traffic and how much you want to moderate for each post and what what you're trying to achieve. But that's always the, the first question. What's the most important thing? That's a great point. That's a great point. It seems like there are a few like specific examples where they deprioritize some elements, like they have a very large 39 point title that says forum at the top of the, of the screen. And it seems like that's one of the items they pick to just like shrink down, deprioritize. And also the threads, it seems like the titles of those threads are the main like visual element now in the new design. Mm-hmm. And so the metadata that they had. Yeah, agreed. Well, and I think that they made a great point when they said just because it's an H1, it doesn't mean it has to be the biggest font, which I know by default, like that's how your browser styles it is H1 loud and proud. Right. H1 is really just like, this is the semantically most important header. Exactly. And when it comes to your actual page titles, uh, in some cases, you do need to give your users some credit that they know what page they're on. Definitely. Definitely. I really liked how they redesigned the header of the screen and like totally visually deprioritized it. What did you think of how they did that? Yeah, it's definitely a considerable difference. It's kind of interesting reading the comments because one person had stated that they like the darker version of the header better versus the white. Mm -hmm. So I know some of that just comes down to personal tastes. uh, But I think if it if it were darker, it's obviously going to feel heavier, but it would anchor the page a little bit more to the top of the screen. So, I mean, it just depends. I remember when uh, GitHub, you know, they changed the color on the header and that was kind of a, a shock at first getting used to that. But It was very shocking. I, I do recall that change. Like GitHub is one of those applications that I use every single day. Mm-hmm. And so just pulling up that site and seeing something different can be rather jarring. Right. When having something so heavy at the top, whereas you think things at the top should float versus things at the bottom. Kind of interesting. Definitely. Yeah. One one really small thing that I, that I noticed them paying attention to was the the active state of the nav links. In, in their template bootstrap, those nav links are just 
dark background, very, you know, very color intensive. And the new version, they took away those backgrounds and just added, like, made the text of that active nav link a little darker. And then they added, like, a highlight border on the bottom. And it's one of the few elements on the page that has any color. Right. And they even commented on it. They took that inspiration from Twitter with the underline, which, you know, I think is really interesting. There's somebody that quoted it that says, you know, there's nothing new about design. Everything's stolen. Just, you know, good designers, copy, great designers, steal or something along those lines. I'm going to get, you're going to get emails about this quote. Sure, sure, sure. Just great designers steal, like hide their sources better is basically what it boils down to. I see. I see. I like that. And so the fact that they, you know, were willing to admit, hey, we took this inspiration from Twitter. And in a lot of cases, I don't think that there's a bad thing. You know, people, I mean, obviously you don't want to plagiarize a site, but there's companies that spend millions or billions of dollars in testing, A-B testing and making sure that things work and that they're accessible. And so for people that don't have those kinds of budgets, I think you can go to those sites for inspiration, be able to take cues from the data that they've been able to distill from their research. Right. Because because the product is is a visual product, they can't necessarily hide their advancements, right? So you can right, right. you can take advantage of all that research and hard work that larger teams have done. Exactly. Uh, by just having a look and, and right. seeing and learning from what they did. Right. But doing it in a tasteful way, obviously you don't want to plagiarize. <laughs> sure, sure. And you don't want to, you know, have something that when you pull it up, it looks like, oh, this is Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Except Flitter or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a forum. It's a forum and Twitter forum. <clears throat> Hilarious. Right. No, that's great. That's great. You know, a lot of times when you're looking for sources to do stuff like that, it'll depend on the target audience. So you can look at other people that have similar markets to what you're trying to reach. Uh, the other thing you can do is look at other people trying to solve a similar problem. So how have other forums solved this problem? I'm just kind of going from there. That's a great point. You're not building, you're probably not building the first of a thing. You're probably building yeah. something that, that has a lot of analogies in the real world. Exactly, exactly. One of the things that they suggested that I thought was interesting that was not related to hierarchy or um, proximity, which we can also talk about, but was accessibility. So when you're talking about color, they had changed the color uh, on a link uh, to that bright green, and then they ran it through the WCAG guidelines to assess the color contrast of it and realized that it was hard to read. And so they ended up making it darker. Gotcha. That was really interesting to me because to be quite honest, that's not something that I do a lot. I just kind of do a visual check in terms of, okay, is this readable right. or is it not? But actually checking it against the guidelines, I think was a really great point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it, this is like my not, not having actually done the work kind of observation, but I've seen over time that like, we you know, we, we focus on all these like minimal designs and sometimes that means like minimum color. Mm-hmm. So Sometimes I see these designs that are like these white backgrounds with like very light gray text on them. I'm like, I have, you know, standard vision and I'm having trouble reading this text. So yeah, uh, for people that have difficulty seeing like low contrast, yeah, that that's no good. There's actually um, tools that you can install within Chrome that will analyze the site for you and tell you what colors. Yeah. So I can send you those links and you can include them in the show notes. Absolutely. I've run that tool once or twice and it is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. 
you know, it doesn't like understand every part of like it tries to evaluate like all the accessibility rules on your site mm-hmm. and it does a pretty good job. But very obvious things like contrast uh, is something that catches really quickly and and you might. Yes. And it will. It's super helpful. Yeah. I found uh, that link through uh, Alleycasts. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a screencast on YouTube. Oh, I'm not. I'm not familiar with that. From some of the the Chrome developers, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I think Rob Dodson is the guy that that runs it, but they have some great pointers. And I just feel like moving forward in our industry, accessibility is going to be a huge issue. Um, there's been several schools in particular that have been sued because their sites aren't up to par with accessibility. Yeah, and so as litigation and stuff like that happens, it's going to light a fire for more people to come Definitely come into compliance. Uh, in my previous job more than a year ago, I was building tools in higher ed and it was slowly becoming a very dominant discussion point when, when people were talking about like using different vendors or building internal tools. Like definitely accessibility compliance is now getting to be really important. It, it can be... Um, at least from my from where I was coming from, it was a little intimidating to like think, oh, it has to be all these things and do all these things. But these tools that, that are now available, like these these plugins or these third party analyzers, can actually get you very close or above compliance really quickly. Like they will point out exactly what you should do, exactly what's wrong. So if it's an intimidating topic for you, I would just uh, encourage a our listeners to like just give it a try and see how mm-hmm. how many just like simple tweaks can can get you there. Yeah. Well, and based on that screencast, one of the things that they encouraged was just to install a screen reader. Yeah. Try just try <laughs> to navigate a page using a screen reader. Yeah. And you'll see how painful it is, and just that alone will get you one step in the right direction because most people haven't done that. Yeah. Yeah. If you uh, if you have a Mac, you can actually turn on Voiceover. And try to tab through your website. Uh, you know, first of all, it's it's really irritating. Yes. Because like you know, no matter what you tab through, it's like reading all this stuff. You can skip things that don't make sense, but you know, just turning your monitor off or looking the other way and like tabbing through a site can be really really annoying. It's it's super. It, I learned a lot the first time I did that. Very eye opening. So I alluded to this, but I'll jump back to it. Yeah. But the second key design principle I would say that they apply across the board is on proximity. So this is just the idea that two things that are closer together will be associated. So one of the things that they did actually almost in reverse was to move the search bar from being directly above the create thread button to the other side of the the right side. Yeah. So by separating it, they're no longer associated. So it doesn't look like that input field is related to the button. Yeah. They have a placeholder on the original design that's like search for threads and then directly below it, they have like the create thread button. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm definitely a lazy consumer of websites. uh, So I'm like, you know, when when I first glance over that, it does actually look like that's like the title of your new thread. You hit create thread when you've typed in that title. I'm sure that people have actually run into that issue quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Or I could even see myself doing the other where I type something into that field and hit create thread thinking I'm searching. Oh, yeah, definitely. And instead, I've created a thread on the topic I'm looking for. Right, right. And then, you know, the, they have a placeholder, so it's technically not like literally incorrect, but putting it through the lens of that design principle, mm-hmm. it, it's not something that I've ever been aware of is that that proximity really does connect those two elements. Yes. Yeah. Card design is huge right now. And so I always hate doing two columns in my card rows 
uh-huh. because it makes it look like those two cards should be associated and they're not. For whatever reason, when you add a third, kind of makes them each look like three separate things instead of two related items. Okay. So with that card layout, it doesn't really look like a table of cards until you get to that third column is what you're saying? Right. Okay. That's interesting. Right. That I hadn't thought of that. So I don't know if that's a personal preference or not, but yeah, I generally hate doing two up unless it's yeah. unless they are associated. Or you have that like classic problem of like maybe like a pricing table or something like that. Right. And I was playing around with this in a side project uh, a few months ago and I was like, how do I make this like actually look like a pricing table without doing a whole lot more and it was it was tricky because like it's very easy to make something look maybe like a a table for data or something like that or yeah it turned out to be a trickier element like i wanted it to feel like a pricing table because i know that people would be scanning through this website for a pricing table Mm -hmm. but i was having trouble like taking the original design and like tweaking it towards like something that would be recognizable as a pricing table yeah and what's interesting since you brought up a pricing table is you have items that it's related to on a row because you're comparing them Mm -hmm. across the row, but also it's grouped by a column because those items describe whatever tiers in that particular column. Yeah. And so you have this situation, okay, what does it need to be closer to and still be readable? Yeah, definitely. There was another proximity issue with that search bar that came up at the end of that article. So at the beginning of the article, they had the search bar and the create thread on the left and then they moved the search bar up into like the navigation area on the right, on the top right. But then at the end, they moved the whole like sidebar from the left to the right. Mm-hmm. And so now you observe that the, the search bar is now close again to the create third button. That was interesting. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> defeated the purpose because <laughs> I was thinking like, what are things that I would do differently based on what they Mm -hmm. created. And one of the things was I would make the search bar the same width as the create thread button. Uh, It kind of bothers me that everything's not lined up nice and neat. I see. But I realized mentally when you do that, then you associate the search field with that create thread button because they're the same width. They're stacked on top of each other again. I see. Since they swapped the columns. So like your intuition is that things should be more uniform, but getting towards that uniformity actually reassociates them too much. Yes, exactly. And he even talks about that a little bit within the article when he has two columns and then your natural inclination is to make sure that everything's lined up at the top. But then he knocks one of the um, columns down slightly uh-huh. just to add some weight to the other side so that they're not like, for example, the create thread button is an actual button, it's content. And so you don't necessarily want it to be flush with the edge of the frame on the left. Oh, okay. I I read that section, but I didn't totally understand the principles. So it's not like at first I was like, oh, I guess like if this create thread button is like totally lined up with the, you know, with the, the top of the, the, the other column, then it associates them too much, but it's really like you said, that it's actually content. And so mm-hmm. you want to think of it as a content element and you are sort of lining up the the left and the right kind of columns. Like that button shouldn't be at the very top because it does need padding from the top of where it's supposed to be. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so it goes against your natural inclination, but it's what, I hate saying it feels right, but that's in some some ways, sometimes that's what design is. It just... 
Yeah. You can't explain it. It feels right. As a developer, when I'm trying to fix design problems, I don't actually apply any theory or anything like that, like a, like, you know, a trained designer would do. I just like look at things and I'm like, well, that looks terrible. And that <laughs> part looks terrible. So if, if I tweak these, then they look less terrible. But that's the, uh, the algorithm through which I'm processing user interface problems and and it, it doesn't get me all the way there. Well, the good news is that like good design is create succinct code. Okay. If you're styling things well and consistently across the board, you should be able to use less styles because they apply to more than one item. I think when you find yourself writing styles for each individual component slightly different, whether that's like margins or padding or mm-hmm. you know small variations in color like to me that's a huge hint that your design needs work i see i see so if you have fixed quote unquote fixed different things and then you suddenly have 20 different implementations of a header or a button or something like that your design overall is 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 a mess exactly and that's part of how you know is that a button should hopefully be fairly similar throughout your whole interface yes exactly that's that's a good thing to realize have you um, heard anything about like Brad Frost and atomic design? And No, no. Tell me more. Okay. So Brad Frost, I don't know if he necessarily coined it. It's definitely where I heard it. But talking about atomic design, basically when you're styling things, you start on the atom level and then you go to my science is going to fail me, modules and organisms. And uh-huh. um, you slowly build up, but it works the same way with like design and front end. So you might style a heading and that's the way the heading is. But then when you start looking at the implementation, that's when you start to get into organisms and how those things all work together as a whole. Oh, interesting. So Brad Frost helped create a system called Pattern Lab that really focuses on those things. And so from a design perspective, once you kind of nail some of the components down, then you start looking at how they all build on each other and then they relate to other objects. Nice. So there is, there is a science to it. It's not okay. So it's not just like getting your individual components uniform and inside of like a, a theory. You also want like how those components associate to one another. Yes. Being uniform. Okay. Yes. I, I like I like thinking from from the inside out. That that's pretty cool. That helps me a lot. Yes. The point of this particular episode is not to open a can of worms about inline styles with JavaScript and React components. But it does bring up an interesting point though when people talk about creating these components and including the styles in it. It makes sense because it helps keep your style sheets nice and clean. But at the same time, you also want to create styles that are able to be reused across the board so that everything's consistent. Yeah. Um, so it does kind of create a na- an interesting balance there between the two. Right. How do you uh, balance out the usefulness of in React putting your styles with your components against the simultaneous usefulness of having like a global style guide yes. for all things. Exactly. I, that, that is definitely something that we definitely have the most two recent client projects that I've been on has been an evolving topic, something that we've been kind of going back and forth on. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like in this modern world where you can put your styles with components the solution that we always arrive on have arrived on is that both of those things have a place, right? Mm-hmm. You want global styles, global rules that keep your styles uniform, but you also want the ability to put, you know, component specific mm-hmm. code with components, which is pretty cool. I love that idea of separation yeah. and just how you kind of figure out, okay, what lives where. Right. It can be an argument every time. 
<laughs> cool. Uh, well, that that's probably a great place to start wrapping up. Is there anything else that they did in the article that you would, may have done differently? I think I might explore that search section a little bit more. And I think all of that goes back to the question is what is the primary action you want users to take? You know, if your primary action is you want people to continue dialogue on existing threads, then it wouldn't make sense to hide that. You would want the search bar to be front and center. But if you want, say, people to add new threads so that content is new and fresh, then it might make sense to hide that search button and make it like a double click. Essentially, you would click a magnifying glass to reveal the search field, and then you'd be able to enter your question and hit submit instead of just immediately displaying that field from the onset. Yeah. A really good real world example of that is GitHub's issue search. Mm -hmm. A lot of open source projects, what they really need you to do is search through the project and see if anybody else has reported the issue instead of just reporting a bunch of duplicate issues and using it as like a phone a friend thing for when you're having problems with the library. So it seems like they do give a lot of visual priority to that search bar Mm -hmm. and also all the filters that you can use to filter down issues. Mm -hmm. I guess that's that's the practice of giving visual priority to what the designers want you to look at most. Mm-hmm. That's a great example. Thanks. That's a great example. Well, cool. That's great. Uh, well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I've learned a lot already about UI design and I'm excited to learn more. We'll definitely have to do a follow-up episode at some point. Yes, for sure. Great, great. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you want even more interestings, please sign up for our newsletter at codingzeal.com slash interestings or follow us on Twitter at codingzeal. Thanks everyone.